You're listening to the JTD Coaches Me podcast with your host, Joanne Tierney Daniels. Tune in as Joanne chronicles her journey from imposter to empowerment. Joanne discusses real life with real people. You'll be captivated by her guests and their stories. Regardless of whether you leave laughing or crying, one thing is certain. Each episode will make you think about life from a different perspective. Listen in and join the journey as Joanne and her guests explore the best strategies to promote personal growth, find your authentic self, and live your best life. Hi, I'm Joanne Tierney Daniels, a health mindset and wellness coach and the host of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. Today, I'll be talking about success, loss, survival, and strength. Life never seems to be a smooth trajectory, even for those who seem to have it all. Often when we're on the outside looking in, we find ourselves envying others, romanticizing their lives, or wishing we had what they have. If there's anything this podcast has taught me, it's that everyone has a story. Everyone has had struggles, regardless of their current success. Sometimes the most successful among us even attribute their victories to their failures. Life should be about running our own race and embracing all the aspects of our journey as a component of who we were meant to be. That's not to say we shouldn't aspire to be more or want more or feel more. For that matter, it's not to say we should. That's a decision only you can make for yourself. But if you're in a dark place, feel stuck, or don't know where to begin to make a transition in your life, this is the episode for you. There is always a possibility for hope after loss, light after darkness, and love after heartbreak. My guest today is proof of that. In a moment, I will be joined by Dean Fox. Dean is one of the UK's leading performance coaches. He's also a mindset strategist and international speaker. Prior to the 2008 financial crisis, Dean and his wife owned a multi-six-figure real estate partnership. When the Great Recession struck, Dean's world began to crumble around him. Just as he decided to reinvent himself and go back to his roots in the corporate world, he was almost killed in a car accident. Eventually, on the brink of despair, Dean nearly committed suicide. And before I go any further, let's bring Dean into the conversation. He tells his story much better than I do. So please join me in welcoming Dean to the podcast. Hi, Dean. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for me as well. So please tell the listeners more about you and your history. I covered a piece of it, but certainly it's much more elaborate than that. Yeah. So, you know, I started my 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 life, if you like, in the corporate world, as you alluded to. I got into sales and business development was kind of my business sector, worked for a number of companies, but it was a thing that I enjoyed doing and I was good at it. Fairly rapidly grew to a fairly senior position in that, in that type of industry. I was a sales manager for a fairly large company. I ran a team of sales execs up and down the country. I ran multi-million pound accounts, had a company car, got to travel, so, you know, on the outside, as you alluded to in your intro, for most people, I had what appeared to be a fairly successful life. But even at that stage, never, ever really felt like I deserved it, if that made sense. I, You know, I'm, we talk about imposter syndrome now. I didn't understand that phrase then. I'd never heard of it before. But I, I did have this feeling that I wasn't worth what I had and that somebody was going to find me out somewhere along the line. I'd struggled with that on and off throughout my life. I had what I call a when then mentality. So I was always kind of saying, well, you know, when I've got this, 
then I'll feel successful. Or when I earn this much money, or when we live in this house, or when we drive this car. And that and then, it never happens. You know, every time I kind of reached one of those things, I didn't feel any different. I still had the same feelings of perhaps self-doubt and that I, you know, I, I wasn't worth it. And then I would look for, okay, well, it must be something else then. And, you know, I need to look for something else. And so I was just driven all the time to try and find whatever it was. And so having reached that point, if you like, in my corporate career, I, I, I was reflecting on that and thinking, well, I still don't feel any different. I still feel the same. And so I made a decision that the next when for me, if you like, that, uh, that would prove everything, prove I was good enough, make me feel happy, prove I was successful, would be if I left the corporate world and, and had the same success for myself. If I set up my own business and successful with that, then that would prove all of those things. And so I, that's what happened. I left the corporate world. As you said in your intro, my wife and I set up a, a property investment and development company in the UK. And over probably about five or six years, uh, we grew that to multi-six figures. Just ahead of the 2008 financial crisis, we were you know, on the verge of uh, completing a deal that would have probably taken our business into seven figures and beyond. The financial crisis was something that impacted the world over. You know, we weren't alone in that. But looking back, there were some things that I realized that I was alone in, in terms of you know, the way that I approached things, the things that I felt about that situation, and, and certainly my perspective and mindset at that point in time. And so in the midst of all of that kind of everything that was going on, all of the financial pressure that we were under at the time, as you said, I made a decision that okay, I think we could probably steady the ship and survive this period if I go back into the corporate world and, and just get a job again. And then in the midst of planning that and trying to, to get back into the corporate world, uh, my wife, myself, and my youngest son were involved in a, in a car accident, as you said. And it was a fairly serious accident. You know, the, the road that we were traveling on at the time, they closed that for about five hours. And it took probably two to two and a half hours for them to cut us from the vehicle, from the wreckage. My, my youngest son, he was airlifted to the to the hospital. They thought at one point he might um, lose a leg um, from the accident. And in order to get him from the vehicle, they had to get myself and my wife out of the car because he was trapped effectively by us. So there was, you know, a period of recovery after that from a physical perspective. Um, you know, there was probably almost a year maybe of physiotherapy, rehabilitation, all of the, the physical recovery that we needed. And that essentially put paid to me being able to go back in and into the corporate world and get a job. And that period of time just added more pressure to, from a financial perspective. We, we ended up losing the business. We lost virtually everything else. Um, I ended up bankrupt during that period. And a combination of those pressures the financial pressures and all of the things that I'd felt up to that point. So the self-doubt and some of those things that sort of reared their head again. And also I think, and I talk about this often now, this idea that often for men, we're kind of socially and genetically, I think, conditioned that we don't talk about the way that we feel and we're there as the provider for the family and we shouldn't be struggling. You know, we should be, we should be the one holding everyone together. And so I was really struggling with the stress I was feeling. I, I describe it like, um, you know, on a daily basis, it was almost like getting out of bed, climbing into a swimming pool and just swimming against the current every single day. And that's both physically tiring, but it's also mentally exhausting. 
and you know I'd finish every day in that situation feeling like that and that drives it, it kind of drives what I call a, a kind of downward spiral if you like you know the way that I was thinking just um, attracted more of those types of thoughts whenever you're expecting worse things to happen then worse things will happen and, and that's kind of what happened over that period it just became a snowball effect and it was getting for me um, from a personal perspective you know darker and darker almost on a daily basis and because I wasn't talking to anyone I wasn't sharing it with anyone I was trying to hold back myself uh, that made matters even worse and it came to a head at the back end of 2010 so December of that year just a few weeks before the Christmas period I think I think a number of things kind of brought it to a head but I think one of the things was you know we were facing a, a Christmas period with with two young children a, you know a family and I was unable to provide the sort of Christmas we would have expected and what they'd probably been used to for the previous few years so I think with that on top of everything else, I just come to a point where I um, I didn't think I had anything left to give. I just, I, I was kind of physically and mentally exhausted from this kind of daily trudge and was just like, I, I don't think I can go on anymore. And I got up one morning and I'd, I'd said to my wife that I was going to go for a walk. I was going to get some fresh air and I was going to kind of strategize and think about you know, what other things we could do, how we could get out of the situation and what our next steps might be. I, that just, that was a lie. I, you know, I, I left the house that morning. I had no intention of coming back. I went to some woodland near where we lived and um, I, I, I sat there. I was, I was extremely angry with myself, with the world, um, with everybody in essence, but I was also very disappointed and sad and frustrated with myself. In those moments, um, I felt that my family in particular, that they were in the position they were in because of me and that they would be better off if, if without me, in essence. And also that I think, you know, I got to stage, I suppose, where I thought, well, nobody's really going to miss me. You know, the world, I've got nothing to offer the world. I'm just, I'm not going to, I've got nothing left to contribute. And so I made a decision that my only way out, in essence, was, was, to, um, to, was to take my life. And that's what I planned to do. I made a decision there uh, in the woodland that that's what I was going to do. But something strange happened. And, and I talk about this now, but it was, it was really difficult to kind of put into words what it was at the time. But it, the best way I could describe it was, it was almost as if when I made that decision, I, I, for the first time in, 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 in certainly probably a year or two, I felt really calm. I didn't feel... Um, I didn't feel any stress. I didn't feel any worry. I didn't feel any anxiety. It was as if a weight had been lifted for me. And I talk about it as if someone had actually taken off all of those problems, all of that stress, lifted it off. And, and I don't know how long that was for. I don't know whether it was a few seconds or longer than that. But it was almost as if someone lifted that off and gave me a bit of breathing space and said, okay, I just want you to think about, you know, the the decision you're about to make or the decision you've made without all of that to think about, you know, clouding your judgment. And it left me with just enough time to ask myself some questions. And I didn't get, it wasn't as if I got answers to those questions there and then, and, you know, my whole life changed. It was just that it gave me some time to ask myself some questions, you know, about well, why do I feel like this? What, you know, why am I gone through all of what I've gone through? There must be a reason for all of this. What, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Why am, why do I feel all of these things? But it led me to a question 
which kind of really struck a chord with me, which was, well, wait a minute, I could have died nine months ago in a car accident. In fact, everyone who was a witness to that day said there was no way we should have survived. And the first responders on the scene said, nobody's getting out of that vehicle. It's virtually impossible. And that being the case, why did I survive? And why did I survive only to to go through the all the additional things that happened after that? And it it was it was a wanting to know the answer to that question, which kind of, for want of a better phrase, brought me back. And it was it was I didn't have any. I talk about this a lot that I didn't have any plan or purpose to be a speaker or a coach or anything like that. It was for selfish reasons. I genuinely wanted to know well why did that happen. Why did I go through all of those things, and why am I still here? Am I being, am I being directed to something, or what? You know, what's the reason? And like I said, it didn't really change overnight, but that day was the turning point for me. It started my journey into trying to figure out some of those things for myself. Why, you know, why things changed for me, and why, why I felt some of the things I did about myself. You know, why did I have those beliefs that maybe I wasn't good enough for that? I, I wasn't worthy of those things. Where did that come from and why did I feel that way? And more importantly for me, why didn't I do some of the things that I, I even knew I should do at some of points in that journey, why I didn't do those things and wasn't able to? And that kind of started me to look at human potential, the behavior, why we do these things, where do our beliefs come from, and, and, and looking at mindset as a whole. And again, just for selfish reasons. But as I started to do that, something started to change, you know, not immediately, but over a period of time, things started to change in my life. And other people noticed it more than me at the time. And it, it was those people who noticed it who started to ask me if I would share some of my journey and some of my story. And, and I have this saying now that, you know, I don't believe that we find a purpose. You know, there's a lot of pressure on people these days, I think, to find your calling and find a purpose. I don't believe that happens. I believe that a purpose finds us. You know, we, all we have to do is step into it when it when it presents itself effectively, and that's what happened to me. I started to share what had happened, and then that resonated with some people who said, "You know, I, that really that really struck a chord with me. I'm, I'm feeling some of the things that you felt, or I'm struggling with some of the things you struggled with. Do you think that you could help me?" And I suddenly realised that. This is why I went through all those things. The, quest, the answer to that question was I went through all of those things. I experienced all those things in order to help other people who either are experiencing those things or are about to experience them. And, and, and that's what brought me to, to, to doing what I do. You know, it was never an intention or a plan. I didn't wake up one day and say, this is what I'm going to do. It just kind of, it happened. They claimed me, if you like, and, and I just stepped into it when it happened and, and, I'm a big believer in this idea that first of all, everything happens for a reason, but also that it's about becoming who we were meant to be, you know, who we truly are. Um, I often feel now coaching is not about changing people. It's about revealing people. And when we do that, that's what happens. So, you know, we often talk about everything happens for a reason. And in, in all honesty, it's, it's a quote that I struggle with. 
on one hand, it resonates with me personally. And then on the other, I envision how it lands for someone who has been victimized or has lost a child or, or a loved one has been murdered. In those extreme circumstances, I imagine it's difficult to accept that there's a good reason for senseless tragedies. When we spoke last time, you said everything happens for a reason if somebody somewhere learns something. And that gave me a different perspective. So can you elaborate on that and, and tell us what you meant by that? Yeah, so you're right. It's really difficult. And I, I understand that, you know, when I look back at my time, you know, the car accident during that period, losing the business, even getting to the point, you know, really struggling with with my, my own mental health. I couldn't join the dots looking forward. It's it's impossible to see, you know, why you're experiencing those things. It's easy to join the dots looking back, to look back over and say, well, I see where that was leading me or where that's brought me. So I you know, I, I really sympathize with people and I empathize with people who say, well, you know, why has this happened to me? I'm really struggling to see why they would, what possible reason there could be for that. But everything that happens, I believe, is either a lesson or a blessing. And it's not just for us. You know, it's, it's, it's in order for us to be able to, to help or teach somebody else somewhere. There's a lesson for somebody in everything. And so the things that happened to me were not necessarily things that I were learning for me. There were things that I was perhaps learning to to pass on to other people, and so when I when I when I share this idea that things happen for a reason, I understand how difficult it can be at times to see that. But having having this this knowing that there is a, an outcome that's expected somewhere along the line for that, and I might not know what that is right now, but it will it will show itself at some point. It allows us, first of all, I believe certainly for me, it allowed me. As I, as I come to understand that, it allowed me to, it was almost cathartic to say, okay, well, I, I have no idea what's going on right now, but somewhere along the line, this is going to show itself and, and I'm going to experience why, you know, what the lesson was and perhaps even who it was for. And so knowing that every time something happens now, it's far easier for me to, to do that. Yeah, I, just, I just grasp that on the basis that, okay, I'm supposed to learn something from this either for me or for somebody else. So I think that gives a new level of hope to people. And we're both coaches in different genres and we're passionate about coaching and helping others. And we're fortunate that we're able to do something we love. So the other day I was actually speaking to a different business consultant who's also one of my mentors, and he made a great point. And I think that there are so many mantras and, and so many things that dictate what we're supposed to do today. Sometimes our passions aren't profitable, at least initially, and we still have to pay the bills. So for practical purposes, sometimes our passions must be relegated to a side gig. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? In your initial stages, you spoke about how people came to you. And I imagine that initially it wasn't profitable, what would you advise to a listener who's in that position? And what are some strategies to help someone achieve the goals they want to? Having the experience that I've had, if somebody is is drawn to something, you know, you've got this passion or you feel like your purpose has been given to you in some way, then you should absolutely follow it. But I kind of balance that by saying, as you said, you've got to pay the bills. So it's not it's not always possible for everybody just to say, right, well, I'm just going to follow this and, and it may not provide me with a revenue stream right now. I think the biggest thing, the biggest lesson and the thing that I would say to people is that you shouldn't relegate it and put it off. I think what happens too many times is people say, I'd love to do that, but I can't see myself 
it won't generate revenue or I can't see myself earning a living from it. So that's not for me then. I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing. You should absolutely pursue it because the biggest question that we ask ourselves, and usually we ask it from a negative perspective, is we ask ourselves, what if? You know, what if it doesn't work? What if I can't make a living doing this? What if nobody, you know, nobody wants coaching or nobody's interested in what I have to say? But we never or we rarely ever look at it from the perspective of, what if I do this and I change somebody's life? What if I was meant to do this and, and it's only one person? What if I do only change one person's life and I don't make a huge amount of money from that? And, that, and I think when you come from that perspective, it makes not only a shift in you, but also a shift in everything that you, you do and, and other people feel that. And I often talk about that now that I got into coaching because people came to me and asked me to, to share and help. And then there's an element of you going, okay, well, I feel like I'm drawn to do this. But as you said, I've got to pay the bills. So I need to find a way to, to monetize this in order that I need to charge for this service. But I think that there is an element of when you come from the space of service, you come from the space of my, my sole mission, my sole purpose is, is to help somebody, is to make a change. Everything else will be taken care of. I know we've heard all these sorts of things before and they're a bit cliche sometimes, but you know, you listen to people like Zig Ziglar who says you help enough people get what they want and you'll have everything you want. And that's certainly something that I, you know, I, I've taken to heart on the basis that I just know that if I help enough people, everything I need will, will be provided. And ultimately, I have a different perspective on our, and don't get me wrong, I, I've still got, as you alluded to in the intro, I've still got goals. I've still got things I want to achieve. I've still got some financial things I'd like to do but it's no longer really the driver for me it's the outcome that comes from service from helping others and so for me I think the biggest thing is you know whether it is a side hustle to start with and, and it might have to be like that for a while but don't relegate the dreams don't don't push them aside and say well you know now is not the right time there'll never be a right time please at least pursue that because the one life you you impact or change might be the only thing you ever do but the ripple effect of that one could be thousands of people. You're right. And not only that, I always say that the profit isn't always in the dollar sign. The rewards are always much greater than that when you're pursuing something you love. I think I like your perspective better. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's talk about mindset. That's one of my favorite subjects. And procrastination and perfectionism are so interconnected and I describe them as close cousins. How were you able to dispel procrastination and perfectionism from your life? So it took me a while to try to figure out some of this stuff. So, so the thing for me is that I spent a long time and I use an analogy that hopefully will help people. Um, certainly it's, it's one of the concepts that I teach to try and help people get a visual representation of what I mean. So we talk about things like procrastination and perfectionism. Both of those things are simply patterns of behavior. They're things that we do over and over again. They repeat in our life. And you ask anybody who struggled with either of those things or other similar things, and they will tell you that what happens is they think they've got a handle on it. For three or four weeks, they'll, they'll avoid it or they'll be able to, to keep it under control. And then all of a sudden, it rears its head. And you struggle again for a period of time. And then you do something else. Um, you know, a, a new technique or all of the things, all the strategies and hacks that are available for those things. But they keep repeating. And the reason they keep repeating is because they're a pattern of behavior. And, and patterns of behavior are designed that way. We, we continually repeat those patterns of behavior. But I use an analogy using uh, a wooden block game called Jenga. 
And what I suggest to people is that if you imagine that a pattern of behavior like procrastination or perfectionism um, as being the wooden block tower, the Jenga tower, the pattern, like the tower, is built on a set of blocks. So in Jenga, it's wooden blocks. In mindset world, they're just mental blocks. They're things that we believe about ourselves and things we've been conditioned to, to, to think. And each pattern of behavior has its own set of wooden blocks, each tower. Now, when you remove some of those wooden blocks by develop, you know, working on a new strategy, so let's say procrastination, you might say, okay, if I manage my time better, if I only work in small bursts, if I give myself a break every 20 minutes, if I only have three things to do at a time, all of these kind of strategies you are effectively removing some of those blocks from that tower, the things that support it. But in the same way in Jenga that you can remove blocks from the tower, but it doesn't collapse. So you, you'll feel better about yourself and, and you will have some improvement, but the tower still stands. So the pattern of behavior has gone nowhere, which means that in three weeks, three months, six months, a year, whatever it is, it'll come back again because we've not, we've not tread the core, if you like. So, I use that to say, well, okay, so if that was the pattern of behavior, if we removed every block and the tower collapsed or wasn't there anymore, then we wouldn't have that pattern of behavior. So we could eliminate it from our life effectively by removing all the blocks that support it. So my first thing was I need to figure out what the blocks are that are in it. Um, and that took a while to kind of figure out what sort of things support that pattern of behavior. So looking both at you know, my own experience of things, but also as I started to work with people, figuring out, okay, so they also struggle with the same thing as me, but they believe this and trying to figure out what they are. And there's a combination of these things, these blocks. But the other thing I really learned was that on a Jenga tower, there's about half a dozen to a dozen blocks that if you just removed them, the whole tower would collapse anyway, even if you didn't take all the others away. And so what I thought was, oh, okay, so if we figured out what those were, then we could collapse the tower without having to take all the blocks away. And that would happen faster and allow people to, to be able to, to move forward or take action in, in terms of procrastination much quicker. But obviously the, the issue with that is that that's unique. So whilst the total blocks of the tower are the same, the blocks that impact you are different from the blocks that impact me. We might have some common ones, but on that basis, we, we each have a unique code based on our experiences, the things we've learned, the things we've been conditioned, the things we've grown up with, out of that tower, we have our own unique code. And so what I was able to do then was to say, okay, so let me figure out what my unique code is. Which of those blocks are the ones that affect me? And I'm just going to work on those. And as you work on them and you start to push them out, parts of the tower start to collapse. And that changes not only what you believe, and the things that we're conditioned and the things that we're not we change that, but then we automatically change our behavior as a result of doing that. That automatically changes our results. And so that's, that's what's allowed me to look at some of those key things and effectively eliminate them from, from my life um, by working out which ones affect me and then working specifically on the, my own unique code within them. 
<laughs> I'm getting my Jenga game out tonight. I'm going to mark the blocks with my, I'll take up the whole box probably. So, <laughs> so I'll be busy. So you also work with clients on developing unstoppable confidence. And I love that phrase. This is another topic near and dear to my heart my self-confidence often wavers. There are many times when I've been afflicted by imposter syndrome myself in the past. One of my best friends gave me a great piece of advice recently, and it's actually the framework of his life. And his mantra is, stop letting other people's opinions control your decisions, your emotions, and happiness. And I found that to be very poignant and a catalyst for change in my life. What are your thoughts on that approach and what methodologies do you use to help develop one's or enhance one's self-confidence? Yeah, so the, there's, there's two aspects to it. For me, confidence is the outcome of stripping away those those things so when i talk about removing the blocks effectively what we're doing is peeling back layers of things that we've put on if you like as an analogy it's like putting on suits of armor as we as we experience things in our life we 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 create a new skin to protect us from that a new belief about something that that protects us from that and over time we build those up what that's effectively doing is it's hiding veiling the true confidence that exists within us because when we experience confidence, when it does come through, it's always, in my, you know, in my experience, it's always at a time when we're doing something that we don't have to think about, that we enjoy doing, that we're passionate about. That's when we're com- most confident. That's because we don't need any of those layers to do that. We're actually revealing who we really are. We're authentic at that point in time. And so by stripping back some of these layers, these extra skins that we build up, we actually reveal our true self and that true self is ultimately has its its own innate confidence so by going through this process of trying to strip away some of these behavior patterns these skins that we've built up we're actually revealing confidence and if you look at you know things around that so our self-image and our self-esteem and our self-worth all of those three things are essentially built on our experiences, particularly from our early ages, up to about ages seven, six or seven years old. But they're all the things that ultimately affect our self-confidence. So having a a low self-esteem and then being concerned with the opinions of others at the same time, it's like a a double-edged sword. That impacts us twice. It makes us feel not worthy in the first place and then we're worried about what other people are going to think about this. So our confidence is always shattered from that perspective. But what we have to remember is that self-image, those self-limiting beliefs, that lack of that low self-esteem, that low self-worth, that's just what we believe. They're simply just beliefs. And when we change that, then we change ultimately how we perceive ourselves. And that's what, for me, coaching is all about. It's not about changing people. It's actually about revealing the truth about who they are. And when we do that, we allow them, we, we give them the opportunity to express their own true innate confidence. Fear is a factor in that as well. You know, there's always a fear of rejection, a fear of, a fear about failure. And what role 
did fear play in your life? And what is the interconnection between the, all of those things? You said that's a double-edged sword, but it's almost a triple. You know, you've, you've developed these fears based on those experiences and based on prior rejection and, and based on your prior experiences. How can people overcome those limiting beliefs besides stripping them out? And, and what role does fear play in it? How can we combat the fear in our lives? So the, I think the biggest thing, so my number one lesson that I've learned over this time about fear is, I suppose well, there's two, two sides to it. One is that we think that fear, which is effectively just an emotional reaction to something we're thinking about, we think that that's telling us something. In other words, it's telling us something about the future. It's predicting what's going to happen. So I took, say, for example, um, someone's afraid of rejection. So if, you, if you're in a sales environment, people don't make sales calls because they're afraid of what person's going to say no on the other end and I'll feel rejected. But you're only predicting that. The outcome isn't certain and you've never made the call yet. So we think that the emotions that we have are predicting the future. When you realize, first of all, that it's not predicting the future, it's simply telling us what we're thinking. So the emotions that we have are simply telling us the thoughts that are going through our head right now. And so fear is, doesn't exist in the present moment. Fear only exists in the past or in the future. So we're either worried about something that's happened before that might happen again, or we're predicting that this could happen in the future. What if this happens? When we're present in that particular moment, if you like, but present there and then, fear can't exist because it's got no outcome. You're just in the moment. And so the first thing to understand is it doesn't emotions and the feelings that we have don't tell us anything about what's going on out there. They don't tell us the future. They don't tell us what might happen. They simply tell us what we're thinking. So if you took someone who's struggling with public speaking, who says, I'm really afraid of stepping out there and speaking. Ultimately, the questions are, what is it that you're afraid of? Because it's got to be, it's either future based. It's either, what if they don't like what I have to say? What if somebody laughs? What if, what if people don't listen? What if, or it's, well, I did this once before and this is what happened. But that's no guarantee, first of all, that it's going to have ever happen again or will happen always. It's not the truth. It's a truth. It did happen at some point if it's happened, but it's not the truth, which means it can't be the same for every time. Otherwise, it'd be the same for everybody. So I think that's the first thing that we need to understand about fear. The second thing is that when we look at fear, so we took fear of rejection, you know, rejection, the reason that that's so strong, yeah, the reason that, that that's a thing that causes so many problems for so many people is that it's one of the things that is inbuilt in us, if you like. We're, we're effectively born with only three things that we're afraid of, loud noises, falling, and being abandoned. Loud noises because we, we are conditioned from a fear factor to respond. Could be dangerous. Falling for the same reason. It's life or death. They're protection. And, you know, they're, they're, those inbuilt things are designed to protect us. And the third thing is being abandoned. We're inherently a, you know, a pack animal. We don't like to be on our own. And that goes back to the idea that if we were an outcast and we were on our own, we, something could happen to us. You know, it's a danger to us. So we associate being abandoned with potentially dying because that's how we were conditioned from centuries, if you like. And 
if you took took that to its next extreme, what that means is, well, if somebody rejects me, I see we experience rejection as being a withdrawal of love, you know, a withdrawal from, from something. So if somebody rejects us, they're withdrawing from us, well, that means I'm I'm likely to be abandoned. They're pulling away. I see that as being abandoned. I know inherently that abandonment is could ultimately lead to me dying because I'd be on my own, and that's the worst thing that could happen. And so we then associate, we now associate rejection with being dying. And that's why it's so strong. That's why it creates these, you know, huge fears about us. But ultimately, they were designed for a different lifetime almost. We don't have some of those things now. We're not potentially, we. it's not as if we, you know, step out of the cave and we could be killed by dinosaurs, which is where those things were built from us in the first place. So it's not, it doesn't exist like that anymore. So the second thing is to understand some of these elements to say, well, that's not telling me the same as it used to tell me before. It doesn't mean the same. Being rejected doesn't necessarily mean I'm being abandoned. And ultimately, that doesn't mean I could die. And when we start to separate those things out, then we can we can see the fear for what it really is, which is just an emotional reaction to something we're thinking about. So I, I think that you're right. Our thoughts certainly control our emotions. And one of the things you spoke about finding your true self, and I, I think that that's cliche in some ways, and people don't understand or grasp it in its full entirety. For me, the keys are self-awareness and self-acceptance in many ways, and really a respect and a reckoning for your entire journey. That being said, I know it's not an easy endeavor, particularly when it requires changing our lives in some capacity. And change oftentimes has a residual effect of impact and effect on other people in our lives, which complicates matters. I mean, what's your advice on how to find the truth about who we really are? The biggest thing for me, and you you, you said one of the two of the words in, in that sentence there, which is the first thing is self-awareness. So for me, the biggest thing that I learned, and you're right, it's not easy. This is not, it's a simple process, but not an easy one. You know, the concept ultimately is just about being aware and asking very, very simple inward facing questions. So stop looking outside at external things and start looking inward for the truth about the, the situation. So it's a really simple process. It's not so easy to do on a regular basis. But this idea of self-awareness is the biggest thing. And, and I, I use an example. I really struggled for a number of years around meditation. So one of the things that I, I want to do as part of my journey was that everybody was talking about meditation being one of the pathways to understanding, you know, getting more self-aware and understanding the truth about who we are. This, this, this opportunity to ask inward-facing questions and meditate. But I really, really struggled with meditation for a good number of years. And one of the things that I learned, which, which massively shifted it for me, was that I spent most of my time meditating, trying to block out thoughts, trying to push everything away and have a still mind and, and clear my head and all of those kind of cliche things that I thought meditation was about. Until somebody shared with me, that's not the root of meditation. The whole idea of meditation is you don't push those things away. You allow them to exist, but you become aware of them. And by being aware of them, you can actually see them for what they are. So the question that you would ask ultimately is, well, if, if I have these thoughts, the question is, who is aware of them then? If I'm aware of these thoughts as I meditate, who is it that's aware of them? Because 
if 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 there is somebody that is aware of these thoughts, then the thoughts can't be me. And that, and that for me started to shift in terms of understanding this true identity because I then started to think, well, that's that's a good question. And it started to make me aware of the fact that I have thoughts, but I am not my thoughts. And therefore, I have these feelings and emotions, but I am not these feelings and emotions. And we can extend that then to say things like, well, that means I make decisions, but I am not my decisions, which makes me the decision maker. And I think when you start to see it from that perspective, there's a huge shift. You know, that for me was what started, I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm there by any stretch of the imagination, but it was, it was what started that shift. I often describe it, it's like being sat in the back seat of the car watching yourself drive. You know, it's almost like taking a step back and being able to see things in front of you that are happening and being able to separate yourself on the basis that, well, that's not who I am. I can see these things going on and I can take a backward step. And that extracts me from the way that I feel and the way that I think and the things that are going on and allow me to say, okay, so how, how am I best placed to respond to, to what's going on here right now, you know, in this situation? So it's not an easy process, but it is simple. This idea that if I can become aware of my thoughts, then I cannot be my thoughts. It's it's very similar to the concept that change is instantaneous. You just need to make the decision to do so. And the implementation isn't instantaneous, but but that's a great point. Absolutely. Now, now, do you talk about all of this? Let's talk about your book and your coaching practice. Do you utilize all, I assume you utilize all of these and discuss these concepts in your book. Tell us about what your program is about and how you use these modalities and how they impact your clients. So essentially, the program is called Crack the Code. And, and the whole idea was, was this idea of being able to help people identify this unique code that they have. So it's like cracking a safe. We've all got this unique combination. And by helping clients understand that, first of all, and finding out what that combination is, and then the next step is understanding that in order to eliminate a belief or change a conditioning, doesn't require you know, months and years of therapy or any of those processes. And the reason I know that is, is not only have I gone through this process myself, but I know that for two reasons. One is beliefs, if, if that was the way to remove beliefs, they would have to be formed in that way. And they're not. They're formed really simply without too much complication, to be fair, which led me to start this process of saying, well, if they're formed that way, there must be an, a simple and, and fairly easy way to be able to undo it, in essence. And the second thing is that we change beliefs all the time, instantly, without any understanding usually of what the process is or how it works and without needing any sort of therapy or any sort of strategies on a daily basis to do that and all I was trying to figure out was well how does that work how is that possible that we can do that without needing all of this stuff and so the program was designed to help people who suffer from what I call the top four so there's a number of behavior patterns as, as you imagine but for me there are four that affect most business owners and entrepreneurs who are struggling in some way, shape, or form. And those four are procrastination, perfectionism, which are the two you've already mentioned, fear of public speaking, and fear of rejection. 
And so the program was designed around those four. And what we did was took all of the beliefs and conditionings that support each of those behavior patterns, created a matrix that would allow us to say, it doesn't matter which one of those you struggle with, we can define a program that allows us to work out every one of the blocks that sit in there. And then I work with clients then to identify which of those blocks affect them personally. And then we work to eliminate those only so that we can collapse the behavior pattern in the shortest possible time. And they can take you know, action or they can continue speaking or whatever it is that they were struggling with before. We can get them to do that really, really quickly, really simply and really effectively. And that's what the program's about, really. It's about being the most efficient way we can get people out of some of those beliefs that they have and away from some of the behavior patterns that are not only affecting their life now, but have probably affected it for most of their life. I've just been, I've been doing some work with, um, with, with one of my clients who is a, a director for a business, and, and I met with the owner of that business today. And we've probably worked together for maybe 12 weeks. And to hear the owner of the business say, he's a different person. You know, I, I wouldn't recognize him when he, when he steps through the door. He doesn't look, even look physically like the same person. I don't know what you've been doing, but he's just not the same person. And I said, well, the truth is that the person you thought he was, he is the same person, but the person you thought he was, was isn't who he was. We, all we've done is strip away and reveal the truth about who he is and allowed him to step into that and say, this is who I am. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, great at what I do, and I'm, I'm, I have the ability and the confidence to be able to do that, so I'm going to go and do it. And for me, that's what the program's all about, is allowing people to do that. I think that's very powerful, just to get back to the core of who you are meant to be. There's nothing more positive or inspirational than that. Now, before I let you go, is there anything that we missed? Is there something that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with the listeners? And then, of course, I want you to tell everybody how they can find you directly and learn more about you. I think something that, you know, we, we did touch on it as part of my journey, but one of the things I often talk about is that, you know, if, if people, if anybody's listening to this and they are perhaps struggling themselves, they're feeling stuck in some way, the, one of the things I, I always talk about is this, it's really difficult to do. You know, I really struggled with it, but I would encourage people to reach out in some way. It doesn't have to be to me or to another coach, or but at least reach out to somebody because I wished I'd had the strength to do that and I think the problem is that we see that as a weakness we think that by asking for help by reaching out and saying I need some help that it that it's a sign of weakness when in fact I believe it it is the ultimate sign of strength you know it takes the most strength to be able to do that and I use this idea that if we look at a sporting environment the very best people in the world that you know, the very top of their game, the best players in the world in all avenues of sport, the best athletes, they they're surrounded by a team of people, and at every stage they're looking to get help to improve and move on. And if they're ever struggling, they say this part of you know my game or this part of my nutrition or whatever it is isn't working. I, I need to I need to improve it, and they're always looking for that. Yet in the business world, we don't see that as being the thing to do. We think we should know everything ourselves. And I certainly struggled with that. So one of the things I want to get across to people is that, you know, whether it is a coach or, or, or just a mentor, but please reach out to somebody, explain the situation you're in and get some support, um, whatever that looks like for you. 
And I'm going to mirror that. Certainly any of the listeners can reach out to me as well. That's certainly if there's something that we can do to help. I, I certainly would respond to an email and, and direct you in the right direction if, if we're not the appropriate people to help you. So thanks so much for pointing that out. So tell the listeners more about how they can reach out to you directly and, and find more information about you. You can get me on my website, which is uh, deanafox.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms. My handle on all of those, so Facebook, Instagram, and Clubhouse uh, is at Dean Fox Coaching. And I have a, every six weeks, I run a, a three-hour virtual live masterclass that people can find out. They can get that information from my website as well. Perfect. And I'll put it in the show notes as well. So I can't thank you enough for being here. You inspire me every time I speak to you and it's great to see you again. I appreciate you you tuning in and giving me your time and and telling the listeners that great, all of those topics were phenomenal. So I appreciate it immensely. I, I Like I said at the beginning, I appreciate the, the opportunity to share. You know, I, I, I say this genuinely that um, I, I'm always blessed and grateful when I get an opportunity to share a bit of my story and, and hopefully add some value. And I, and I say this because I alluded to it at the beginning, but our story isn't for us. You know, we all have a story, but it's not for us. It's for other people. And I don't know whether we come along at the right time for somebody, but I hope that somewhere by sharing some of our story, that somewhere along the line, somebody says that something we said resonated with them and we had that impact. And like I said at the beginning, whether that's one life that we perhaps change in some way, then it will have been worth it. So I I really value the opportunity to, to do that. So thank you. Thank you. And you can count me as one of the ones. So you can bump up to two now. You can. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. You can find additional resources and information about Joanne at jtdcoachesme.com. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates and new episodes. You can also follow Joanne on social media under JTD Coaches Me. 